Welcome to episode 6 of the Seeky Strength Podcast. And our brand new jingle. Did it play? Yeah, it's, it's already played. Okay. <laughs> we are... This is our 6th recorded episode. Oh no, this is technically our 7th recorded episode because we have an unreleased episode with the man himself, Squat University, Dr. Aaron. We just haven't released it because we were waiting to get on more convenient platforms for people because SoundCloud... Just wasn't good enough, Dara. No, people no, we just couldn't get the SoundCloud app. We'd originally, you don't even know, need SoundCloud app. You can listen for free without the app. My God. Yeah. And people couldn't do that, girl. Doesn't matter, Dara. It's okay. Anyway, no, we're, we're on Spotify now. Yeah. And iTunes, hopefully. Um, but so we're on the main two, really, SoundCloud and Spotify and iTunes. And we're still debating about YouTube. Yeah. If we're going to use it or not. We're, we're going to video all the big ones anyway, just in case. If we ever All decide. the big hitters. Yeah. I suppose if you do want to listen on YouTube, just send us a comment. Yeah. Before we get into the meaty version of this, I would just like to say we are thoroughly enjoying rambling shit on a microphone. And yeah. it seems that from the feedback we've gotten, you're also enjoying it, which is means a, a shitload to us because we talked about a podcast a while ago. And we, and were, we were like, why the fuck would people want to listen to us? Why would people want to listen people to us? People don't listen to us when we're, they're paying us to coach them. True that. True that. Well, they try to listen to us, but just can't help it. Yeah, but sure, we're all we're all human. We're all imperfect. Yeah, we've got a lot of uh, the the demographics of the listeners is probably my favorite thing. So if I open up, we've uh, there's a called the Pulse app for SoundCloud, right? Right. And so you can't see now. Griff is big on his analytics. I love the old analytics. It, it gives me the tingle, the tingles. So top country. So the top listen podcast is obviously the one with Gabriel, but coming in close behind is the introduction. Oh, which would make sense. It would make sense. It's the first one. So the top countries are the United States, well in the lead, then Ireland, and then the UK. Ireland is not part of the UK, just in case you didn't know that. Just so everybody knows, Gareth likes pointing at things with his microphone, so that's why he goes. Sorry, oh, sorry, sorry. So then we've got Canada, Germany, Sweden, Australia, Poland. Some random ones in there, like there's like 11 from Taiwan, province of China. Yeah. That's debatable. But um, we'll leave that Big one. Big respect to that. We'll leave that one on a different... Uh, <laughs> that for us two from Iran I didn't know they could even get to us yeah we were actually in Iran last year an amazing country if anyone ever has the chance to go and visit probably one of my favourite countries yeah okay what today's podcast is on um, as you've probably seen from the title is recovery techniques for training so how would you get over those heavy training sessions how would you get your body back to square one how would you return to homeostasis what today's going to be is some literature bashing wait do we call are we calling recovery sessions or recovery methods recovery methods recovery methods okay so we're gonna like <laughs> bash the literature <laughs> yeah so basically so like i was so what i want to start off with saying is i've been reading some literature recently from sports science okay and i've been reading it for the last five years so i some uh, like stupid stupid people write papers i've come from a, an, an actual science background Oh, look at me. I did biochemistry so papers I read are like the, the language isn't even used there's no like emotional language which I've noticed from sports science papers there we is we have found some gems this week there's no, like there's there was no perceived language stuff no. is black and white in biochemistry and if you read a paper but bar some clinical trials or stuff about drugs if we're talking about real just intracellular biochemistry yeah. you can be almost certain at the time of writing it was definitely deemed to be true yeah which jesus christ is not the case with sports science literature no. oh my god it's like 
so what tends to happen and like a lot of, especially with recovery techniques yeah it's slightly different when you look at like some of the biomechanic stuff because it's a bit more uh, sub- objective yeah 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 and people aren't so kind of yeah. bought into an idea but what tends to happen is like Pre- this this like this one of these phrases perceived fatigue what the f- oh fuck? yeah well we'll get into like yeah, perceived, yeah. perceived and, and soreness later but what tends to happen and uh, we saw it, like in a lot of those papers is like uh it'll be like the massage institute does does a study on whether massage helps with and then you go to the bottom soreness. and then no. magically they find that massage is the best thing ever but then you'll go and f- at the bottom they'll say there was no conflict of interest in this study yeah or it'll be like this was double blind placebo based study like, the skins how, in how did you blind yeah. someone from getting massaged <laughs> like the skins institute of, of um fucking laboratory yeah and it'll be like Gar- compressive garments are incredibly powerful techniques for recovering yeah. from exercise it's like and like for those of you who aren't from like a science background or whatever when you're writing a neither paper, a sports scientist yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, when you're writing right. a paper yeah you can't use that language you no. can't be like it's been proven that that word should never ever exist in any scientific literature mm-hmm. something's been proven or it shouldn't be like nothing should be the most powerful yeah we've seen that like stuff the like ultra that. techniques so we're going to bash the literature a bit today we're going to talk about what we use we're going to talk about what we get our athletes to do um and hopefully you're going to have some takeaways from this well probably not just rambling i think something interesting as well is in sports science literature is that you like instead of just saying let's say there's like they'll be looking at um creating kinase or something as a marker of um, muscle damage or inflammation or something and it will say something like there was a massive increase but gigantic increase like what you should be writing like in a normal scientific paper you would write there was an increase the increase yeah. is irrelevant it's not a subjective increase no. it's an objective number that or was increased. there was a change yeah there was a, a positive change. direction in but it's not even positive in terms of your emotions and no, how you no, feel no, about it. It's, it's, it's a positive meaning the number got bigger. Yeah. The, the, the positive there doesn't mean the positive in regards to how the person felt about the increase in their protein, <laughs> their creating kinase or the reduction, you know. This is, it's mind-boggling to me because normally I don't read scientific papers, you know. Like in, once you start reading those papers, like in... in I'm in the lucky situation where I have to read around 40 a week. They're disgust. It's actually disgusted me, like, because... And there is, so... Now I know this is like because I haven't produced any sports science papers and likely I will not be. I've been involved in one or two while I was in UL as part of a study. But geez, Louise, I feel like is there not a lot easier things to be doing? Yeah, more so low. Is there not low lot lots of low hanging fruit? Hanging, and there is, and there's some really good like there's a huge amount of great literature. I've no doubt. But I think it's hard to find. And the reason we're talking again, well, this is more ranting about this now. The reason we're having this rant now is so that when you're listening to this and when we're talking about the techniques, right, if I decide ice baths are going to be the best technique in the world, anybody can find, you can just go on to PubMed or go on to Google Scholar and find some kiss me arse paper mm-hmm. that's going to be like, cryotherapy is the best thing in the world ever and everybody should be doing it. So don't read into things straight away. If somebody cites something for you, go and check the paper and if it was eight people mm-hmm. in a non-blinded non-tested yeah like you really just you need to be a kind of a, a better consumer of information sometimes yeah like if it's if it's about like 
I'd have fastest lateralis recovery in eight wheelchair bound basketball players you know take it with a bit of grain of salt and consider you don't even have to understand you know statistics or have to understand testing methods just think about it objectively will this paper and the results of this and what they're trying to say will it apply to me will this have any use to me like can i apply this to my own training or my own recovery methods and like i there was a period of time there last year it got really to its peak where everybody was citing it's really like on instagram it was particularly bad everybody was reading papers in their spare time learning you know this, yeah. this thing about and everyone was an expert on reading papers and like the results from them and people were like can you cite that bro and you're yeah, like yeah 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 so if i can can you read it do you understand what's going on like yeah so, and i don't mean to um but I would never discourage people from going reading them. It sounds really pretentious, you know. Yeah, but overall, just be yeah a bit more tuned in when you're looking at papers. Yeah, I would always know? think that go read them. And yeah. If you don't know what the p value is, go go look it up. Google what is p yeah. value, and then decide you don't want to know what p value is and you start reading about it. Yeah, and then I'm glad I'm not glad you brought up p values because yeah. this is so the word significant basically is a special little word you mm -hmm. use for things that have been statistically analyzed significant is not significant isn't something we can just throw out that like my squat got significantly better yeah we tend to use it a lot in like colloquial language but that's not what that word is for you know no, when significant is used in terms of scientific papers yeah um so they're actually banning p-values now in most of the sports science i actually didn't know that that's yeah bad. in most of the journals because what happened was say if we're looking at recovery techniques and we look at let's bash massage for a sec what would happen is they do a trial and they'd say there was significant improvements and what significant basically would be is like you'd have a confidence interval if it was beyond a certain amount of improvement so like say two standard deviations or some amount like that it was said to be significant and then it was that last line of the paper is all people would quote. Yeah. And that was the only thing, like if something was significant straight away, beef causes cancer yeah, or yeah. massage is great or like whatever it was. So it might, it might be significant, but that means it just caused a change sometimes. So it might yeah. Be and like significant is just, you've passed outside a bracket or you've, you've gone beyond a certain amount. So it's not like this level of significance could be minuscule. Yeah. But it's statistically significant. So that's kind of an interesting change in the last 12 months that uh, I know the journalists trying to conditioning are looking at banning p-values or they already have banned p-values. That's very interesting, actually, that um, yeah, that they would do that, it's, it, that it was such a, an impactful thing that was happening and, so much. And it is like that the whole culture around sports research is becoming a bit more pro-nuanced. So like actually looking into what the stats mean mm -hmm. rather than just living by this significance or non-significant i know a lot of um you do do a lot of statistics especially in ul like a lot of yeah. sports science degree because you literally can't write papers unless you have a statistical analysis no great basis in statistics yeah 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 statistical analysis as well or understanding statistics was something from my experience is something you you need to put a shitload of time into it yeah it's i think it's very rare that people seem to get it. Yeah, you just don't, be like, it's not intuitive. Like, do you know the way people seem to get like, um, I don't know, balancing chemistry equations, or I don't yeah. know, fucking or like squatting, algebra, simple yeah. things like algebra. Yeah, it's obviously they go huge amounts beyond it. But like, 
you can look at an equation or you can understand an equation or trigonometry they're intuitive enough to look at where statistics like doing fucking t-tests and mm -hmm. four-way and overs and stuff they're n like no matter how much you look at it you're not going to make sense of it unless yeah. somebody explains Teaches it to you, you. yeah it's, it's something particular about that like you know okay let's but get back on back on track that was just needs to be said because a lot of times if you do see things quoted just be aware yeah so be a better <coughs> consumer of information number one numero in our recovery uno. numero uno in our recovery methods is going to be sleep i would think yeah sleep is just absolutely and undeniably one of the most important recovery methods if you're just looking at recovery methods sleep is if you're looking down. at one thing to change in your life Sleep is hands on. sleep. Sleep is hands on the best thing you can do. Yeah, and like if you're looking at some gut, so uh, there's huge. We'll actually delve into this a bit. If you're looking at sleep, well, most of like the kind of recommendations would be seven to eight hours per night for like a normal adult. And then um, if you're doing, they're actually changing just about eight now. There's no more like just eight. Just get seven. Um. So don't <laughs> eight be hours of training a night, and then if you're doing high levels of training and especially resistance training. You can add anywhere between one and two hours to that. Yeah. Napping, to a certain extent, has also been shown yeah. during the day, if possible, to help. No more than about 20, 40 minutes. Yeah, so, like, taking one nap a day is definitely, and, like, these are definitely, you can say, from what's been done so far and what we've found ourselves. A nap before training tends to be advantageous once it's, like, less than 40 minutes but usually 20 minutes yeah most of them minutes. have shown that 20 is like before uh, sleep inertia kicks in yeah and then if you're looking at like if you if you're absolutely fucked if you hadn't gotten any sleep the night before a 90 minute nap will kind of get you through a cycle to whereby you're getting some sort of hormone uh, cascade happening but you can't do that before you train most of the time you just shouldn't train if that happens no you should just take that as your rest day have your nap yeah and then go to bed and then go to bed have a really long nap known as a good night's sleep yeah I think they've actually removed that, Joe, that recommendation of like six to eight and now it's just like eight is like the yeah, yeah, yeah. because so many people so don't be that person who's like I just get six and I feel great no I feel great yeah like there's a genetic there is one gene that so few people have it that it's not even worth mentioning more but there's a gene that you can have that less than six hours of sleep and you're, you're grand you're recovered because your hormone cascades happen faster I think and it's, it's like, like you have much chance of winning the lotto yeah it's it's literally it's like the, you're not going to be that genetically talented that you never have to train mm -hmm. which there are some people who are like that yeah so don't expect your sleep to be like that but I, I don't know if they've done this even if you have that gene is it better you still get more sleep no they have done this have they done that yeah, yeah, it makes yeah. no difference to no. so you will probably know if you're that person because it, let's you say definitely know and your mother or your father will be that person too yeah and you're probably a vampire or something or you're a ceo of a massive company because yeah. you're working 20 hour days definitely like if you there was a very easy way of testing that and it's if you get eight hours sleep one night and you train and then you get five hours sleep the next night and you train and if yeah. you feel like shit after five hours train it's probably a good idea yeah 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 and like so there's certain things you can do to improve sleep quality obviously the first thing you do is you need to put aside the time to actually be like i'm gonna go to bed at 11 and i'm not gonna get up until eight or whatever it's gonna be but so besides putting aside the time there's things like what you do before you go to bed what your bedroom is like and what happens when you're actually in the bed and then how you wake up in the morning is really gonna affect it so, so there's like things to look at before you go to sleep it's consistency so yeah same thing every time always the same time 
Yeah. I would I would would argue that let's say you can you're sure you can always get seven hours sleep every night as opposed to six some nights and then eight and a half other nights. Yeah. If you if you can structure your life in such a way that you could de- and I know we just said eight is recommended, but if you can always get seven, a routine, a regular sleep pattern is better yeah. than an irregular sleep pattern like that. Yeah, like so all the sleep is controlled by your circadian rhythms and, and you want those hormone cascades to happen at the same time mm-hmm. every day. So your body should be telling you if you go to sleep every night at, at half ten, mm-hmm. your body at ten o'clock is like, all right, let's start shutting down. Yeah. And it is like so that's the first thing when you're looking at preparing yourself for sleep is just that it's a consistent time every single night. Um the so second then, thing then is like yep. screens on your phone. Mm-hmm. So like nearly every smartphone now will either have it set in that you can turn off the blue light or get an app that will turn the blue light off. I haven't I personally have used those very for a good I'll while. I use it, yeah. And it's made no difference for me. I think the main thing is just stop fucking using your phone. Yeah. You know, if like and this if you're somebody who goes to bed and your head head hits the pillow and falls asleep, this obviously doesn't apply to you. I think that's the problem is that I am one of those people who, Yeah. If I'm in a consistent environment. I'm definitely one of those people. But there are people who'll stare at the ceiling for two or three hours without being able to fall asleep. Also, if you do have trouble falling asleep, a consistent routine is just something that your body gets into. Like so if you yeah. sit at four o'clock every evening and you go to bed at nine o'clock every evening when it gets to nine o'clock, your body's like, cool, it's time to go to bed now. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're going to bed at like eight and then going to bed at two, your body is just like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, just consistency. Yeah. Get the screens out. Um, Reduce light exposure. As in general, over- your yeah, room the, should be pitch black. You should, actually, there's something from Matthew Walker. So Matthew, yeah, I think it's Matthew Walker. Yeah. He says start turning off the lights. So all the lights, not just your phone, like all the other lights in your house and close yeah, the curtains yeah, yeah. Like 45 minutes before you go to bed. Yeah. So it starts telling your body it's time to go to sleep. And that's if you are looking at kind of educating yourself a small bit. Matthew Walker and his book, um, his book is Why We Sleep, I think. Yeah. Um, he doesn't talk as much absolutely about... Absolutely phenomenal. How to get to sleep. He just kind of talks why... why yeah, yeah. Um, so then if you're looking at, like, there's a load of things you can do. For most people, eating a load of food straight away before you go to sleep isn't good because mm. you'll end up waking up during the night or you won't get to sleep as fast. Or else if you've drank a load of water, you'll be waking up because you need to go for a piss. I think uh, reading, here we go again, reading a study before, they were saying that taking naps after a meal reduced your insulin sensitivity, which is not a good thing. No. And I think I saw one recently where we were saying eating a meal before bed basically had the same effect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the thing with insulin sensitivity, I suppose, is if you're in really good shape and you eat really good food and you exercise all the time, yeah, that kind of thing. It's not as important. Like, it's more important that you get your meal in yeah. than it is to miss your meal, especially if you're training hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, another thing for, um, like, ceiling stirrers, what we call, like, people who can't get to sleep straight away, is just lowering overall anxiety. And obviously, that's unbelievably easy to say. Mm-hmm. Um, But there are, like, there's there's more interventions that you could count for helping lower anxiety. Obviously, if you've GAD, like generalized anxiety disorder, um, it might be like a medicated route. But just for normal people who have normal levels of anxiety, you mightn't even realize it's affecting your sleep. Mm-hmm. But doing something like the Headspace app, great app. Um, any form of like mindfulness or something like that before you go to sleep could help. Obviously, there's a huge portion of population that don't respond well to meditation really or yeah is it the wrong kind of medication or just medication no, meditation 
So like mindfulness, um, if you take someone who has ADHD Mm -hmm. and get them to meditate, it makes them a hell of a lot worse. So for getting to meditate, it makes it worse. Yeah. Why is that? They just get hypercritical of everything. Yeah. And it's the same with OCD. Like if you put someone into like a mindfulness intervention who has severe OCD or ADHD Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're telling them not to think about everything, then all they're doing is thinking about not thinking about everything. Um, and then there are negative state. effects so yeah yeah it heightens uh, general anxiety so I do you like pers- yeah like personally I'm a fairly calm person so yeah. I didn't really like the Headspace app I yeah. still use it I paid for the year or whatever and it's definitely worth its money I find in the morning so it works best okay yeah yeah, yeah. you're definitely a morning person though mm. so I wonder if it was for like a night owl versus so you had no issue falling asleep like so I don't know yeah most of the time what was happening was I was doing the meditation so it was like 10 minute session after about 4 or 5 minutes it was just like gone it was asleep yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I wasn't really I wasn't really meditating for the sake of meditating and learning how to meditate yeah 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 it was literally it was just, just falling asleep it was a relaxing thing for sleep yeah so I think that can be a very like that's definitely a nice little tool in your toolbox oh, I hate that phrase <laughs> oh my god if you're trying to fall asleep there's um, no better I can't think of a better phrase than that though no 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 spoon in the spoon drawer no <laughs> shears but in that the is, shed that is something you, you might need to look at if you've addressed the kind of physical and like the physiological things around your sleep if it's like nice dark cold room physiologically if you're not eating a load of food or you're not training straight away and then trying to go to sleep colder is definitely better as well that's been yeah, definitely. shown an awful lot as well Um, then it could be like a psychological thing so something like a, a yep. headspace app or something it's worth a try you just give it a, like a two week bout mm-hmm. and then see if it works or not uh sleeping naked as well is um one that's been that's been shown so you cool yourself down a little bit as well you know and some people might that might you know it's funny as well is that like some people might be so neurotic that sleeping naked might be like oh my god i'm naked I'm yeah. dead. you know they might not want to do that yeah 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 sleeping with a partner as well as they've been fairly I think some people just don't respond well to sleeping with your partner and that's up to you how you fix that and maybe having your partner is more beneficial than getting a full night's sleep <laughs> but if you're super concentrated and getting a good night's sleep maybe, maybe addressing the issues own. like I know um, Brian Shaw before so like he had a young child and obviously for the first couple of years of having a young child there's basically fuck all you can do nope. I, I always wonder though is there like some evolutionary adaptions that's happened over the f- hundreds of thousands of million years that allow you to see people being able to soldier through especially women who have young children yeah but um i know brian shaw i suppose like cortisol levels can only get so high oh they can you know and like (laughs) it's like anything else once yeah once that starts getting released into your brain yeah it's like a drug addict like you you can't they can't pump more in you'll probably just get used to it so you get like a bioaccumulation and immunity and stuff like that but I, anyway, I know Brian Shaw was saying that um, I think he got for about 30 days before he got in and uh, he had a young child, I think before the Arnold's, it was either this year or last year, but he got in a minder, it's just an overnight childcare minder, you know, yeah. just so he could get a night's sleep like for a month. So that, that month for him was probably better than any amount of gear he was taking. <laughs> Realistically, it was. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Even the peacefulness yeah. of knowing I don't have to wake up. Yeah. And it's not my wife taking everything. Yeah. So that is well. He's the one taking everything. Wait, I'm sorry. There's no need for that. Um, so that's the first thing. So sleep. Sleep. Numero uno. Sleep is just twenty like, minute naps, twenty oh to God. forty minute naps. If you're highly one, recommended. Yeah. Um, if you're under pressure for time, make sure the quality of sleep you're getting. So mm-hmm. it's length of sleep is the most important thing. 
then quality of sleep after that for a while there as well they were kind of um some people were arguing that you shouldn't interrupt one of your circadian rhythms circadian rhythms yeah, or one yeah. of your sleep cycles but i'm not that doesn't seem to be look at i think you should just get to sleep yeah, like just get to sleep even if you're not sleeping just lie in the bed for that yeah. seven or eight hours get rested and no. then the next thing after that is nutrition and hydration but i think it's like someone said someone was saying to me that they were they were trying to time their sleep cycles so if they missed one cycle they're going to go to bed 90 minutes later no 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 like no. maybe you should just go to bed yeah. and your body will figure it's the fuck out somehow like yeah I, I definitely wouldn't agree with that so new number two is nutrition so i don't know how many times we've quoted this at this stage overall calories yeah. matter more than everything else in your nutrition yeah definitely in terms of recovery it goes overall calories mm-hmm. then protein intake then macronutrient split yeah so all the carbohydrates are probably one of the most anabolic things you could be eating yeah some people would argue that but that is like if you're in a deficit you are not going to recover as fast as you possibly can yeah you need to be eating sufficient amounts of food so that your body can recover there needs to be enough uh, amino acids like you need to be eating enough protein there needs to be enough amino acids traveling around your body to be able to recover the muscle tissue after you've exercised. I think as well, something that I've noticed is while obviously total calories make a huge difference, what's made more of a difference for me personally is the types of food and quality of food. So I know I talked about there in a Q&A before yeah. today is that I follow the vertical diet. And I have done for the last while, uh, maybe over a year and a half, two years. And definitely eating things that are much easier to digest and have the most bioavailable micronutrients definitely do make a difference. So I know in that like kind of hierarchy of like nutrition and you have like most of the squares taken up by calories and then like next is like macronutrients and then like nutrient timing and then like micronutrients, a tiny part of it. Yeah. But I suppose the efficiency of how your system works will be largely based on your micronutrient intake as well. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a hard one to pin down, but I definitely notice a difference. It is. So I think if you're starting at the very bottom of the stairs, mm-hmm. first step you take, make sure you're taking the right amount of food. It doesn't have to be a shitload. You know, if you go from training four times a week to training five times a week, that doesn't mean you eating a thousand calories extra a day. Yeah. You know, it's just make sure you have a sufficient amount. Obviously, make sure your protein intake is good. We're not even going to go into recommend the protein intake because everybody loves to shit on. Oh, you're not getting enough protein or, yeah. oh, you get so much protein. And that seems to be at the moment. It seems to be whether you're vegan or not as to whether you think you should get a certain amount of protein or not. There's basically from what it seems like. It's almost impossible to reach the upward limit of negative effects of eating protein. It's something like ah, uh, you can def- yeah, it can be done, but you're like it's almost is it is it nine hundred grams or something like for most people? Uh, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's like, like it's north of six or seven hundred at least. Anyway, like it's, it's it's colossal. Like you, it just be so hard to reach that. So at any stage in your in your nutrition, if you're gaining or trying to lose weight or maintaining, like adequate amounts of protein is yeah. is very important. Um, I know as well the lately a lot i suppose if you read newspapers or headlines or tabloids is there's newspaper newspapers who reads newspapers anymore <laughs> but you'll see things like uh people are eating too much protein yeah 
and like that you see recommendations of like like a hundred grams of protein or seventy five grams of protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, the thing with this is, look, is most people don't exercise. Yeah, and like most of these studies that come out, they're like large scale population based yeah. questionnaire studies that aren't looking at athletes. Yeah, they're saying things like, oh, um two-thirds of people who eat red meat are also overweight mm-hmm. you know it's like, like these big conclusions being drawn and then it like it's this thing of cherry picking data and cherry picking studies again you know it's not a true reflection of what science actually says mm-hmm. they're not doing double-blind placebo-based studies they're not doing large-scale meta-analysis most of the time it's just questionnaire-based studies Owen how much food do you eat a day Owen, mm-hmm. what weight are you? Owen, how, how or, much body fat do you have? Or like sometimes they'll ask people, what have you eaten for the last two years? Please write oh this notebook. Oh my God. Or yeah. they'll like record the next six months in your notebook. And people, they've, I know they've shown a lot of times that people are just, just so dishonest. Not in a way that like, they're going to lie and wreck yeah, the study. Yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. like, I can't tell them I ate six cream eggs and chips. <laughs> they're like, I can't tell them that. No, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not willful sometimes like, you just forget what you eat as well or yeah, people are like yeah, yeah. oh I've got to know my book this week or, and then it's Sunday oh, evening I, I don't need to include the five tablespoons of olive oil I put in the frying pan yeah like it's or like I don't need to put all the salad dressing like and then suddenly you miss out on 100 grams of fat a day <laughs> like and people are notoriously bad at judging portion sizes yeah and finding their own portion size and stuff like that or like they've there was one I've seen before where they gave people smaller dinner plates and people oh ate less God. food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one they did was I think it was a, like basically a a bottomless bowl of soup. <laughs> and the one of the soup people ate was like just colossally more yeah. like, you know. So I don't know how we got into that, but just protein is is very important. And you but you already know this if you're listening to this yeah. all reasonably. Yeah. So basically would, with diet I would think Don't so, be a dickhead. Yeah, don't be a dickhead. No, like, but I think you a lot know of if you're eating well or not. People underestimate the, the carb intake sometimes and how good yeah. you feel if you eat more carbs. I think timing of carbohydrate intake as well is very important. Like if you're if you look at overall calories as well and you adjust for some more carbohydrates, it's um especially if you're a power sports or yeah, it's really important. Like you you might not notice like say if you're getting most of like it might it might well be worth reducing some of your protein intake and maybe your fat intake to increase your carbohydrate intake especially yeah. if you're training especially on training days as well and it will depend on like what phase of training you're in if you're becoming completely depleted of glycogen like mm. if your legs are fucked then it's going to be a good idea to take on some extra carbohydrate post session just to refill those glycogen stores you know a lot of times as well is especially weightlifters and every one of us are guilty of this but we massively overestimate how much glycogen we're using <laughs> in a session we're like i did like 20 lifts there i must must easily have earned 100 i grams trained for three hours it's yeah. like yeah but you sat down for two and a half hours of those three like do you have any idea how many calories you burn over a s- typical weightlifting session no no the variance is way too large like like if you sit in an assault bike for 10 minutes you might burn 60 calories yeah you've that could be the equivalent of a whole session. Genuinely, it could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they've, um, like, but they've, it's known that, like, most of your calories are not burned from direct exercise. Most yeah. of them. Is it, like, is it, like, 80% they're burned at rest or something? Or, or from a huge heat? amount. It's just, like, day-to-day living, you know? Yeah, it's burned. From breathing, you burn nearly more than... Something. Yeah, yeah, and, like... Unless, this, we're talking about part of the weightlifters now. Yeah. CrossFit is a bit different as well. Yeah, or if you're, like, a football player. Yeah. It's different for you. What kind of average mileage would football players be doing? Oh, um, 
10k a week maybe more mm. it depends it really depends like football is so positionally based I know with Gaelic football in Ireland the max they're going to be doing on a training week is 24k that's disgusting spread over four sessions I'm not talking about 24k either spread over three sessions sorry um but yeah they're covering a lot more mileage they're putting a lot more energy out there mm-hmm. um for weightlifters and powerlifters getting your ten thousand steps is actually quite important definitely like you probably really overestimating the amount of uh, calories you're burning in a weightlifting session and i know everyone's guilty of that like yeah and like we love this thing of like donuts and deadlifts bro yeah yeah you know like oh i'm gonna get pizza after a train maybe maybe we don't need to do you know you see like really good crossfitters doing that and stuff and they've, they've like you see it's like rich froning who trains for about eight hours a day like and then he'll yeah. be like he needs peanut butter and pizza because it's really hard to get more calories and i don't agree yeah, with that yeah. but it obviously works for him like you know ah uh, well yeah they're in a completely different arena that's what i'm trying to say you're energy not energy we're all like, not them like you know no 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 and like I'm a big fan of uh, let's say if we're just talking about fat loss is uh, I know we talked in a video there is uh, doing go check out the Instagram is um, walk, uh, cardio like a really passive cardio like 10 minute walks or something like I do like yeah. 10 minute walks is part of the, the vertical diet as well and it really it really does make a difference yeah 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 and it's not going to affect your training and that's something no. as well a lot of pe- and if we look at like recovery techniques or recovery strategies that's probably going to help your training we'll get to that <laughs> But if we're talking about just instant nutrition as well, like for fat loss, like the yeah, the like you you think we've all been guilty of this as well, especially powerlifters and weightlifters is um you're thinking oh, cardio, fuck's sake, I'm gonna really tire myself out for training. But in reality, you're definitely not going to tire yourself no, out for training. No, no, definitely not. Like I think the final thing we're going to touch on now before we move on to hydration is, and this was this was a throwaway line in a question and answer video. Large amounts of overeating can also negatively affect your recovery. Yeah, because carrying that one. Yeah, so like carrying large amounts of adipose tissue, which is fat tissue, um, leads to higher levels of system systemic inflammation. So your body is constantly basically your body's constantly fighting to store this fat, and that hurts your recovery. It will also hurt things like uh, hormone regulation. And the amount of testosterone you produce. So, if you are carrying large amounts of body fat, mm-hmm. coming down to a, a healthier weight or yeah. a more reasonable weight is going to help your recovery overall. I remember you asked uh, Gabriel in Romania. So, we were just asking him what kind of body weight he was um, when he was lifting, when he did some of his big lifts, like clean and jerk and 220 and stuff. And he said before Rio, so he'd taken a pause before training for like a year not no a year but he'd taken so he'd started his Rio prep I think at about 93 kilos I think and he said he was pretty pudgy yeah well you can take that for what he means he said What's 93 no muscle yeah <laughs> and then he got down so he was competing in 85 he said to like 85 of basically he's basically he's shredded yeah and Fitz asked him should like, I should I yeah because we were talking about what are the main things I need to do before I see you next time and you were like, should I lose weight or whatever? Yeah. And he didn't say you should lose weight. No, he was like, you need more. Yeah. He said basically, what Fitz basically interpreted as was he needs to improve his power to weight ratio. Yeah. So gain muscle and lose fat is what he yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he didn't say just gain weight and get stronger. 
No. And we asked him that and he did clarify. He was right. He's like, it was, we were very clear about the answer we got. Yeah, he's like, don't get bigger. No. Just but he did, like, he, he meant like, get, yeah. in a roundabout way, get better body composition. Yeah. So like gaining, he, he was more in favor of a better composition, composition. than just gaining maximum yeah, weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's something that like, yeah, especially in the powerlifting world, we'll tend to be like, oh, I'm going to get bigger now and I'm going to chase this number. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're looking at your training overall and like... But for powerlifting, it kind of does work a bit. Yeah, mass does move mass. But if you're looking at like the best recovery possible, mm-hmm. you should be looking at a better body composition. As well, for weightlifting, a better body composition definitely seems to make a definitely difference. Definitely helps, yeah. But it's a lot harder, I suppose, for weightlifters to kind of improve body composition because it, it's... It's uh, not... It's not like... It's not a lot harder, but it, at the detriment of your own training, it might be... You need to be super patient for it. You know, you need to be really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, sometimes as well, people don't think about is that when you're gaining weight, is you don't feel great when you're gaining the weight because you're burning, you're eating a lot yeah. of calories, and you feel really tired because you're digesting a lot of calories. And then your training may suffer as a result of this. Yeah, because you will feel sluggish. Like I spent most of my formative year between the ages of fifteen and twenty trying my ass off mm-hmm. to put on weight i was like e- eating like complan shakes in school having like eight slices of bread with like two or three packets of ham in them for for lunch when i was in school like boxes of pasta boxes of rice and you feel like shit all the time but that's literally how hard it was to put on weight do you think that was part of the calories or what kind of calories you're eating both oh i think it was just both i think the volume of food was so challenging when I went from eating just shit loads of food to then adding in like a meal replacement shake, we that what we used to take was Complan. No way. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So what Complan is, if you guys don't have it, it's what you give to old people who can't eat food anymore, or we need to gain like, weight. Yeah. Or if you break your jaw and you can't eat, like it's post, what they tube feed people. Yeah. Post surgery, like. Yeah. So when I was in school, I used to eat that, um, and that helped keep weight on. How did you get that? Oh, you can just buy it in a pharmacy. Oh, okay. Um. Did it taste good? No, it tastes like ass. And the chocolate one is so expensive. Everyone has that kind of... Not everyone, but a lot of people have the story of like... Oh, I force-fed myself. And then yeah. they're like... I actually figured out in the long run it didn't really help that much. No, but like weight in rugby is so important. Like the difference between being 85 kilos and 90 kilos running into you is mm-hmm. fucking huge. And oh, it, sure. sounds, it sounds like nothing, but you do notice a difference. Um, And then... Like first year in college, I'd say grew an inch, inch and a half in height, put on maybe like twelve or thirteen kilos. Really? Yeah. The fastest my squat went up was when I went from so for my first two years of weightlifting when I went to European Juniors, I was an eighty-five, right? So and I cut from because I qualified as an eighty-five. I had, I cut from ninety baby girth days ninety-three. So I d- in training as an eighteen year old, I'd snatch one fifteen at about eighty six or eighty seven, and clean and jerks like one thirty or something. I was really good at snatching at the time, and um, <laughs> you like hang snatched one forty. I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> so, but then I I'd gotten up to like over Christmas like ninety three kilos, and then you at the time you used to be able to qualify over body weight, so I cut down to like eighty seven at one competition, qualified as an eighty five, and then. It was like, oh shit! I, like I kind of <laughs> gained up a bit, like so I had to cut from ninety three to an uh, eighty five for the European Juniors, and basically, 
I didn't have the money to pay a nutritionist. There was way yeah. less nutritionists around six years yeah, ago. Yeah. Like there was a lot less. And um, literally what I ate was the same thing every day for like three months. I ate like Weedabix in the morning. Then I had like meat and vegetables and some rice or pasta for lunch. And then I had, um, what do you call it? An omelette and something for dinner. And I just ate that until I lost weight. And I remember going to um like someone had like a house party like two weeks before the competition, and they made fucking Rocky Road and they made like <laughs> cake and stuff like for a house party. Like who does that? Like in college, like who makes that for like? But anyway, so I, I cut down flat, and then I just after that competition because I just starved myself for so long. I just rebounded and I ended up like at. <laughs> you ended up missing 94s and going straight to well, one of fights. I kind of ended up at like 92 again. I was working, I had like work placement for eight months. So I just, I was working a lot and training a lot and eating a lot. And then I ended up in back in uh, college or, and I was still eating a lot, but I was not working a lot because you're in college. <laughs> you're doing fuck all. And I kept training a lot and I literally went from, I think it was about 90 to 100 kilos in about eight weeks. And my squat went from, I think, 170 for two or three. To like, I'd say, then that was in September. I went to like 240 by next summer. Yeah. I remember I was like, I wanted to rep like 200 by Christmas and it went just crazy, like, because I'd gained so much weight. But I actually, like, to that extent, that weight gain was really important for me because that range was, I needed, yeah, yeah. I look, people said, they're literally like, you looked wrong before as a you lighter body weight. Completely wrong. Only, and they only said it when you got to the heavier body weight that yeah, it made sense, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. But me going from 100 to 112, which is something I have done, yeah, did not elicit the same gains. <laughs> no, it and was, I think there definitely is like ideal body weights for people. Yeah, for sure. You know, like there's 112 kilos was detrimental to my performance. Yeah, like you couldn't hold a bear in the bottom position of a snatch. I remember that you couldn't bend over and pick up a bear. You feel terrible, like yeah. So I, like I definitely think, and like that's something you can only learn through playing around with it. You're you'll kind of end up there. By accident. If you if you're reasonable with your nutrition like Dara said, don't be a dickhead. Yeah. Or if like if you've good coaches around you and the coaches are like, I think you need to put on a bit of size mm-hmm. or I think you need to take off a bit of weight. Like listen to them, you know, don't be afraid to play around with what weight you're training at. And just as a tangent, if you're doing your first competition in any sport apart from your weight. Do not cut weight. Do not cut weight. I'd say oh for the first year God. don't cut weight. For the first at minimum five year, competitions you will know if you're going to be international so you will have but for everyone else don't cut weight please yeah. don't a lot of times people say to us they're like we'll be coaching people and they'll be like I'm say let's say what are 96 now and they're like oh yeah. I'm just 100 kilos so I cut down and you're like no don't no, don't and they last like two weeks beforehand or something so yeah definitely don't cut weight yeah and like I think for weight like for the weightlifters we've trained and obviously for powerlifters it's going to be similar when you're cutting weight for weightlifting, like you can lose like three or four kilos over the course of four days with a water cut, you know, and it won't be detrimental to your performance. And it won't, yeah, but that's because we're coaching people through that. And then when like when people he- like they might hear about like Freya or Sarah or someone like that cutting weight, yeah, and then they're like, oh well, well she did it, and then you talk to them at the next competition, and they're like. All I've eaten is three cookies for the last four days, and you're like, "Why yeah. the fuck are you doing this?" I like you when probably I probably gained weight because your body <laughs> is dying. When I cut for that competition, I lived terribly. Like yeah, I did yeah. terrible at the European Juniors. Like I, I made like four or six lifts, but the lifts I lifted were way lower than I wanted to lift, and could have lifted way lower because I've been cutting to weight. It's just like you can in weightlifting, you can get away with it. 
for like a week you can lose that weight and it's no problem yeah. but if you're, it's a long term loss of that weight like it just kills you like. yeah and I think like you said it that was six or seven years ago when there was nobody around I there is information there now go and find somebody who has yeah. helped people cut weight before seek out some knowledge seek don't out do it on some knowledge hey, I would definitely definitely recommend if you could find someone you think is trustworthy I'm actually yeah. thinking about it myself at the moment is just looking for someone just sir because there was a way more like we know a reasonable amount of nutrition yeah but if you were to say our knowledge about training compared to someone who knows something about nutrition it's not even in the same it's not even in the same realm no. like we'd like I can do my own nutrition but I, I would really enjoy I would really like to find someone who is really on the ball of nutrition and who would be able to facilitate it in terms of a vertical diet which I assume shouldn't be that hard no I, probably the reason I'm not doing it is I'm just being it's not the expense because a lot of time they don't cost that much no 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 and the investment you put into weightlifting is not going to be like that expense isn't going to be huge overall yeah but I, I might sometimes this summer I might look into finding someone but I would say if you know someone and you're if you're weightlifting it might be no harm if it's a feasible decision for you yeah they used to try it out a lot of yeah, times you yeah, might yeah. You might learn something for your own self, and then after six weeks, you don't you don't stay with them because it, it most of the time, unless you're an athlete, it's not feasible, and you don't need to stay with someone that long term for your nutrition. No, but you should be learning things from them. You should be taking away habits. Yeah, you should be asking them questions while you have them under your employ employment, and trying to take away something that you're going to actually implement in your life and not just use for the six weeks. I don't know, honestly. I honestly don't know how you would find someone because just. Just seeing someone, you know, you see those client pictures before and after. I'm not sure if that's a good enough. Um, I'm going to say that if somebody on their Instagram channel advertises by them showing you their six pack, you shouldn't go to them. But what if they're showing people's getting six packs? Mm. Like, how does a performance nutritionist really show <laughs> a performance nutritionist? How does how do they really show their results? You know, how do they prove to you? Like, yeah. Like, how do you tell someone your knowledge and performance, you know, about nutrition is something I'm wondering about. Yeah, it's hard to know how to actually go and pick a good one. Yeah, I wonder. Do you mm, I think talk to people. Mm -hmm. Talk to people who've used them. Talk to people who've used different people. Yeah. Like, don't be afraid to slide into someone's DMs and yeah. be like, hey, this person quoted you on their page. What's the story here? Or a lifter that you might like. Ask them what they do for their nutrition, if they have anyone helping them. It 20 minutes on Instagram could allow you to find out a lot I see a lot of those American weightlifters use RP strength yeah um, Mike Israel and the boys Mike is a smart man yeah um, I know Fanula downloaded the RP strength app there I have one of them no the template yeah but she downloaded their new app there oh released. the app she didn't really I don't know it wasn't really I don't know on a was. side note from that Mike is in sick shape at He's, the moment whole body looks like a penis oh my god and in a great way. Do you know that uh, phrase you said? Um, you're making strawberry jam out of dog shit. Yeah. should make a t-shirt with that on it as well. We should. Definitely. Also, yeah. go and look at a one's page. There's a picture of our logo up there on a the t-shirt. Yeah. We we don't think we're going to call the apparel line. Sika Strength. We're just going to call it Sika. Yeah. Um, who else is Deers? There's a big company. Is it Ralph Lauren? No, that's a fair no. thing. A fake sport. Who else is it? Stag. Someone has. No, I don't think it was a stag. I don't know. Ours okay. is fairly unique. 
getting back anyway. to recovery techniques, we're now going to talk about some things besides your sleep and nutrition, kind of auxiliary things. Oh, we um, didn't mention hydration, actually. No. Actually, we'll talk about that now. Hydration levels. If you're a normal adult, you should be drinking over two liters of water a day. Is that right? Yeah. Definitely? Yes. What about like lots of electrolytes? <laughs> what do you mean, what about lots of electrolytes? At least two liters of water a day. Do you look up the World Health Organization. Well, we know that's not... <laughs> Actually. At least two liters of water a day. What you need to look out for here is consist. Like you need to be consistently drinking that water. Yeah, like, you can't go. Oh, it's ten o'clock. I need to drink that two I liters of water. Yeah, because you have like um, I think it's called a loop of Henley in your kidneys and that like your HPT axis that regulates the amount of water. And if you, it'll just limit the amount of water you'll store in your system one time. So if you just drink a lot of water once, it will still only take the amount you need. Basically, that's a very yeah. very shit way of saying it. But if you're consistently sipping water, I love fucking noon tablets in the water. That's definitely made a big difference after work. The electrolyte tablets? Yeah. So there's a little bit of carbohydrates in those. And I think... Um, What's hard. the name of those? Moon. Noon. N-U-U-N. And the citrus fruit flavors are much better than the other flavors. Because <laughs> if anyone tastes the Dioralite, it tastes like... Dioralite tastes like shit. Ass. But Dioralite's only meant if you've a medical... Not a medical in what yeah. If you have diarrhea or the shits. Or if you vomited. Yeah, it's not meant for a heavy night on the session, drinking the no. day after, really. I know it works well for that, though. A lot of people yeah. do that. Way more people do that now than before. <laughs> a like, lot of people. I wish I knew about that back <laughs> a few years ago, because like, it does sound very useful. People have said their hangovers feel a lot less when it. Yeah, people have said that, yeah. People <laughs> have said, takes the edge off, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, hydration. Anyway, so, right, hydration, there's no excuse for getting it wrong. Why you can, do people need hydration? Why, why for training do you need hydration? So, every single muscle contraction that happens mm-hmm. requires you to be appropriately hydrated. So what happens in a muscle cell is you have potassium on the outside and sodium on the inside. And when the muscle cell contracts or fires, they switch over and then they gradually return back. So basically, H2O is the only thing that's in almost every single I think it's in every single biochemical reaction yeah. needs water to facilitate those yeah and there's no reason for you not to know if you go for a piss and your urine isn't clear with a slight tinge in it you should be drinking more water if your urine is absolutely perfectly see through and just looks like water the same with the water that you drank that's too much you're probably over drinking it realistically that's not going to be an issue for a lot of you um but you should be you instantly get feedback on whether you're hydrated or not there's no real excuse for it um and it will affect performance and it will affect recovery i think someone is that not some of that changing lately though like the, um, the need for the balancing your amount of electrolytes i think it is no this is what happens when you buy electrolyte tablets <laughs> but like Obviously, having clear piss is not like you don't no, want to be no, clear. No, 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 So that's it's like you instantly get feedback. You know straight away if there's a slight color to your urine, and it shouldn't smell absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. Then you know your hydration levels are good. And if the testers come to your house and your <laughs> piss is clear, if water comes, they won't take <laughs> your sample because the gravimetric or fucking your what's it? Yeah, that's actually an interesting point. If you drink too much water. They can take that as a valid sample and will wait. 
Because actually, one of the testers told me a story before. Do the junior rugby world cup is on in new zealand yeah oh i heard this so he was saying uh obviously you've heard it they haven't heard it <laughs> uh so there was a tester telling me before nationals a few years ago um he'd gone to new zealand for the junior world cup so i would have been i think it was like 2013 or something maybe and i think it's it's supposedly it's part of the maori's culture to knock away bodily fluids oh so he, they had I don't a know young about that. is this slander well we don't know who it is we don't know who there it is. There was a young islander from a country that wears all black on their t-shirts. You just said it was New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> In New Zealand. But anyway, so the the uh, I don't know I don't know who the player was anyway, but anyway, they they had to take a, a sample from said player. Uh it was a urine sample. And he refused to give the sample and they stayed in the dressing room with him for I think it was nearly forty eight hours, right? So every few so he your man slept on the bench, the two testers stayed there with him. They'd wake him up every few hours, be like, do you want to give a sample? He'd be like, fuck off, basically. He eventually stayed there so long and didn't piss <laughs> that he actually had to go to the emergency room because he oh did some fucking God. damage to himself. So, I don't know, is, is that a cultural thing or was he angry? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? What's that implying? Who there? knows? Yeah. Moving on. So, we've done sleep. Nutrition. Um, nutrition and hydration. Hydration. And now we'll move to probably things that people, well, maybe I suppose people care about the other ones, but recovery yeah. methods is something that's much more, or much less. Um, it's much clear. less about foam rolling and a lot more about not doing anything. Sorting <laughs> your meat vehicle out. Oh, shit, shit. We thought we forgot to talk about something very important here. And it all of the others don't matter if this isn't in, like, re- isn't right. Is all of the above goes without saying that your training load is in... Oh, op- my God. How is, did we miss this? Is your training load is in an optimal <laughs> condition. So your training load is the might mo- amount. So no matter how much yeah. you recover, mm-hmm. or no matter how great you are, and yeah. how great your sleep is, Jesus. and how appropriate your nutrition intake is, yeah. if training, you do train. retarded training, yeah. sorry for using that word, you probably won't be able to recover. Yeah. That's all probably if you're training too much. Yeah, you cannot recover. So the caveat for all of the above is that if you're not training at an optimal amount, the amount that you can recover from, no amount of extra sleep or water or nutrition will cover it. No. Also, we should talk about supplements as well as part of nutrition. Yeah, we'll we'll talk with them after. We'll talk about them first and get to the recovery methods. First? Because we'll, we'll keep them under the same bracket. Okay. In our loosely and shitly <laughs> defined lecture. I suppose, realistically... Supplements aren't going to make any difference. Most of them, no. So, like, if you're monitoring your food intake mm-hmm. and you're finding you can't get enough protein in, and it is quite hard, you know, if your protein, if you're recommended to get 220 grams of protein a day, that can be quite difficult if you're not eating a huge amount of meat. Yeah, actually, so yeah, something yeah. like a whey protein powder or something like that can be handy. It can be handy because you can take it straight away after training. Um, in terms of auxiliary supplements like it's creatine look if my you're recommend- enough for the what if you're a vegan you should definitely be using creatine yes definitely because if you're, you're yeah. not going to be getting enough if you're eating enough red meat you don't need to be well so in terms of what the science says mm-hmm. there's responders and non-responders to uh like exogenous creatine so like the creatine you actually eat which most of the time is are you on creatine bro uh, no not at the moment <laughs> Most of the time, you get creatine. You get creatine monohydrate. You should take five grams a day for around three weeks, and you'll realize if you have an increase in performance, you're what we call a creatine responder. If there's no increase in performance, you're a non-responder, and you should probably stop taking it. That's 
the very simple with creatine you don't need to load yeah. you don't need to plateau nothing like that it's just 5 grams daily or between 3 and 5 grams don't read what it says in the back of the tin what kind of performance were like they getting that. realistically though you can get like up to 15% power output no way. increases that's what the studies would say that sounds like absolute horseshit it's honest. not so like what you're, what you're taking is were they malnourished <laughs> no but <sighs> They've done it in dietary controlled, so where you get everybody, everybody's eating the same stuff, and you find people who, so this is like, usually these are sprint interval trainings, so they're over the course of 10 seconds. And really, that's like, 15%? Yeah. That sounds excessive. So like, what it is, is you have a natural pool of creatine in your body, or like, an amount that everybody will have. Some people are able, if they take supplementary creatine, and some people, if it is supplementary creatine, and not just protein they're producing themselves, are able to increase that pool of creatine so they're holding more creatine in the muscle just want to add a note that we will not and are not ever coming out with a with supplement no. line called creatine right? no 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 this started as a supplement company and, it's not and if we're coming out it's it's going great. to be something fucking groundbreaking um what do you think of citrin malate i've, I've heard <sighs> some a lot of the research is saying lately is that like it seems to be really good for performance yeah and Endurance. well body i think it's for body composition too as well muscle mass isn't it i have I no th- idea i think eric helms did one there recently i don't know it, i kind of feel like in supplements in general it's great to be skeptical because yeah and i think most of the time the people selling you supplements are the people they're pointing to like rich phoning being a bsn advocate or whatever those people don't look like that because they're taking fucking BSN amino acids. Like if I had 60 euro to spend on 6 euro supplements or 60 euro of steak, steak, I would buy 60 euro steak every single time, which I do. I don't actually take any supplements at the moment, bar the noon tablets. Um, I used to take vitamin D for a while, D3, but uh, any of the bloods I got, it didn't seem to show I needed it. Yeah. Actually, th- speaking of bloods as well, if you're interested in just kind of looking at overall inflammatory there is one that you may not have ever heard of it. so you might know of all the others like cholesterol and stuff like that but a really good bracket is it's a thing called C or C-reactive protein so it's actually a lot of times it might be on your bloods if you get bloods and regularly and you might not have noticed it I'll have to have a look for that so a lot of times they put a br- certain brackets in and it's a, r- a very good indicator or it's one of the indicators that can be used for heart disease um, the last they'll put you in certain brackets and be like 0.1 or you'd be yeah. 1.5 or 5 or whatever and if you're so I'm sure most of us listening to this, your C-reactive protein will be fairly low. I was in a very low bracket, so it's suggesting that my risk of heart disease was low at the time. So basically what it's a measure of is of overall inflam- inflammation in the body. Okay. So if you had the access, I suppose, I know some of those sports science, I'm putting that in they come with studies, they do measure like creatine kinase and, yeah, C- and yeah, some yeah. of them actually measure C-reactive protein. So I wonder... With certain times after training sessions, would it be different? I imagine it would be. Yeah, it would be. If it's a measure of systematic inflammation, it would be. Yeah, so if you're looking for that, maybe if you have the access to... It, in Ireland, it's kind of not hard to get bloods, but a lot of time the doctor will be like, why jump bloods? Yeah. And sometimes I get them done like once every eight months. Yeah. It's um, it's kind of hard to convince them. There's a lot... There's more... I noticed in the last year or two that there's more private blood places yeah. that aren't that dear. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I was trying one of them, but... Most of them, a lot of times, your GP and I can I can I understand why a lot of times they don't want you to be your doctor for yourself. Yeah, yeah you don't yeah. know what you're looking at. Yeah, and I'm not saying I do. 
But I suppose if you're an athlete and you're incredibly concerned about your performance and you're looking for the 15% from creating, it yeah. might come again. Um, it's no harm to check every now and then. Yeah, yeah. De- and like, the thing is, if you're an athlete who's training a lot, you're putting your body through things that normal people wouldn't put their body through. Mm-hmm. You're taking in amounts of food that normal people wouldn't take in. You're having to recover from stresses normal people don't have. So it is no harm to go to the doctor that bit more regularly and just get the old service done. Like, I'd, I'd stopped taking vitamin D3 because the um, it was fine, as far as I remember, from the blood. Yeah. So the only thing I'd really take is noon. And I don't know if you... Would you call that a supplement? It's yeah, not a supplement in the Supplementary. Sense. It's not part of the way the whey yeah. proteins, creatine. I uh, take ZMA oh, um, before I go to sleep. Yeah. Do you still take that a lot? Yeah. I'm um, actually, I ran out at the moment. But what ZMA is, guys, is it's zinc, magnesium, and vitamin B6. Um, and it was kind of formulated as a pre-sleep supplement. So it does, it's been shown in studies to help with like getting deep sleep um, and like zinc and magnesium just help with muscle relaxation um, and my diet is fucking horrendous. So if you, if you were to measure the amount of green things I eat every week that isn't like the lime and citrus Red Bull, <laughs> it, you could probably fit it in one hand. Uh, not recommended. No, so like my my actual micronutrient intake is actually pretty poor. So I just take that. I take like five capsules before I go to sleep. You use any whey protein or anything? No, um, I I probably should like, but I know my protein intake is very good every day. I eat a lot of meat. Yeah, like and obviously every day. The f- f- protein from food is just always going to be better than protein from a shake. The odd time I'm like, yeah, I should, I might get a pro whey protein, but most of the time, almost okay, all of the time, I'm thinking it'll just taste nice. That's yeah. all I'm worried about. I'm not thinking, geez, I need more protein. Yeah, but I know. Last year, when I used to come down to Mallow twice a week, I used to take a shake in the car, mm-hmm. and that was because I drive for like an hour, or an hour and twenty minutes after training. Yeah, and I just used to have it then. Like, but in terms of supplements, obviously, there's other supplements that we know work very very Mexican well Mexican supplements Mexican supplements as Joe Rogan is fond of calling them but that's not what this podcast is about because we're no good to you there no so after that so we've done sleep we've done nutrition hydration supplementation all with the caveat that your training is good yeah and now the last thing a lot of you might be doing which is recovery methods and so these are the secret tips it would seem the literature would say that none of them do anything, basically significant. Yeah. yeah, and like the classic one of these is, and like it's something we've seen people do for years, especially on sports teams, is ice baths. Um, and I was like, I'd really been full of cold water outside the back door for like five years, and I used to hop into it like five or six times a week. Mm-hmm. And I used to fucking love it, and I thought it was great. Um, but you, you reckon that might have been just some kind of resilience training, really? Yeah, I really do, and I think... There's a big difference between physiologically recovering from exercise yep. and perceived muscle soreness yep. reducing. So the if placebo I, effect is very strong, though. It is, and like I, if I was to go back doing that now, I wouldn't not do the ice baths. But I definitely think. Would you not do them though, or would you be like? No, I'd I'd still do them. Yeah. Um. Someone actually just messaged me today saying that he's listening to the podcast. He might be listening to this one now. He just said he did his thesis on heat shock and cold shock proteins, and he said the heat shock was fairly favorable in the yeah. literature at the moment. I haven't read any literature on that. So, right, 
And by the sounds of it, we'll be fucking reading it. With their studies are done. The cold treatment, so ice baths, cryotherapy, yeah. stuff like that. Cryotherapy is slightly different because the response of the lizards is so much more extreme. But ice baths in general, and this is one of the great little rules of thumb of literature in sports science. Mm-hmm. If the study was done in Australia, it seems to say ice baths improve your recovery. Mm-hmm. If the study was done outside of Australia, it seems to be that ice baths are not good for recovery. Do you think that's something to do with Australia, just being really warm? No, I think it's because there's three universities who did loads of stuff on ice baths and their experimental procedures were very, very different from what everyone else was doing. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think the level of significance was slightly altered. What are you saying? (laughs) I know there for a while there, there was this thing going around that cold water showers and cold water increased your testosterone. Yeah. But I think I mentioned this in that Euros recap podcast that we did. But they did one study on avatar workers, I think. No, meatpacking factory. So obviously everything. Avatar. Avatar. They did on. um, (laughs) The big blue guys. Their testosterone was huge. Avatar. Avatar. No, it was on a meatpacking factory. Yeah. And they found that basically all the men's testosterone was fairly below average by like 200 nanograms per deciliter. Because pro, so I, I don't know if there's a difference between like prolonged exposure to cold and really cold, like basically those ones have been disproven a lot as yeah. well. Like to those. And uh, all those tea boosters and stuff, the tea boosters that tend to work are the ones that Honey have been spiked. Weed. That's literally spiked with what? Spiked with some something in the factory that would make people think it works, and then they pull it out of the batch, and then suddenly the next batch don't work. Steroids. Yes, that tends to be what happens with tea boosters, and that's why so many people get popped. Yeah. Because they're using I say it is some, now, yeah. But it is like there's <laughs> know, the amount yeah, of athletes who get popped because yeah. they're using a tea booster or like a manliness enhancer. And uh and what a lot of those companies do is they're based in a country where you they readily have access to banned sub uh banned substances. Mm-hmm. Um they're either being made in the same factory or mm-hmm. else they get mixed up in a batch. The first batch will tend to work, or the first few batches of a supplement tend to work. Yeah. And then suddenly the third batch doesn't work, fourth batch doesn't work. Yeah. And then it's the actual supplement you're getting and not something else. The problem is a lot of athletes then claim that they got a a, a batch that was tainted yeah. and they can't find the pro- the batch. Yeah, Actually, yeah, yeah. there's a supplement, I think it's beetroot extract. They use it for a particular heart condition, but they've shown studies that it doesn't increase the number of red blood cells, but I think it increases the diameter of your red blood cells. Yeah, so it has a... It has an effect similar to EPO. So if you obviously were, of a completely different magnitude. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you're across science for sport, science for sports or sports for science. Science for sports have a really good Instagram channel. Uh, they put out a lot of infographics, and they actually have one for around two or three weeks ago. Yeah. On the beetroot extract and on beetroot juices, um, and its effect on red blood cells. It's actually very interesting. So if you're a crossfitter, it might be something more or like a football player or yeah, exactly. anything on a pitch. Not waiting for the powerlifters, yeah. but they uh, some of them are saying it was something like again, like 20% increase in like performance and yeah. stuff like that. I don't know, that sounds colossal to me, like even the creating one 15%. Yeah. But I, I think suppose, like just put on your skeptical hat when you're reading these. But it's those 15% increase in power output doesn't mean a 15% increase in performance for your sport, though, does it? No, is no, that no. the same thing, really? No, definitely not. What about um, what's that one that gives beta Is that the one that gives you the tingles? Yeah, is that the same kind of idea? Uh, that's basically fucking slightly different that's a calcium inhibitor yeah um 
which no, affects muscle contraction. But the thing with supplements and recovery is if your sleep, diet, mm-hmm. hydration and training load are all on point, mm-hmm. supplements, basically their effects are negated. Although, even if it, I suppose contradicting myself now, but if it gives you one and a half percent. Or if, if it makes you feel. And like this is something with the ice baths and stuff that comes up this morning, the whole time we we're talking about perceived yeah. exertion like perceived muscle soreness is how most of us measure how fatigued we are yeah like when we wake up in the morning and like your back is killing you and your quads are really tight and you're like oh jesus i'm so fatigued that's how most people measure fatigue you know most of us aren't going to the gym and standing on a force plate or most of us aren't doing a vertical jump or you most know, there's uh, grip strength have you ever seen that yeah 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 they use grip strength and apparently it's fairly no accurate. but nobody does that but like, you, I, I've seen, I saw one before. you don't do that. No, I know, but yeah, it, it, it's yeah, possible. Yeah. Like you can, um, is it's like a machine you can measure your grip strength with, and they like it's very apparently it's fairly yeah. accurate measuring like fatigue like that. The probably the most useful if you're listening to this and you are of a certain level where you really want to track your fatigue levels, heart rate variability is, it's not a gold standard for it, but it's very very good, and that's you just measure that in the morning. If the level of variability in your heart rate is very high, it means you're very recovered. Mm-hmm. If the re- the level of variability is very low, it means you're not recovered and you should probably alter your training for the day. I think for specifically weightlifters and powerlifters as well, you shouldn't be in a place where you need to be monitoring your fatigue. No. Because you're, ve- you're it's very easy to pin down your variables in terms of your training load. Like if you're, say we're talking about Gaelic football players there earlier, the amount of variability I know if I load 200 kilos on the bar and yeah. then in a squat session I do 10 singles with 200 kilos I know I've done 200 kilos for 10 singles yeah. but if I play a game of Gaelic football I've no idea how much I'm going to run yeah and you've no idea what the what the demands are like no it could idea. be the easiest game of your life yeah and you still lose like you know because you yeah. mightn't have had to have, make that many runs or you mightn't have made that many hits yeah. or taken that many hits but that is like with weightlifting and weightlifting everything is so planned yeah and like if you're a Sikh athlete and you're fucked yeah it's our fault yeah you know because we've misprescribed not, not happened <laughs> which will never happen sometimes people on the basketball program have said where it gets a week I think it's like week six where there's shitload like really heavy five by five maybe yeah. it's week three or week six I can't remember where people are like sometimes they're not able to do all of them but what a lot of times happens is their five by five is like this was my new 5RM and I did three sets of five and they're like, oh, I didn't hit all sets of five. But you're like, you also hit your 5RM like three times and you added like 10, 20. One person added, um, I think it was 30 kilos to his 5RM. What we're trying to say for weightlifting powerlifting is that you should always be, you should always be controlled of your fatigue when you're training and you should. And sometimes you might want to be fatigued. You might yeah. need to get to a place, you might need that for your training adaption. You might want to get to a place where you are fatigued. Yeah. Maybe not so much in you think in field sports maybe not so much no i don't think so and like the thing that most people are looking at in teams and with uh, with team sports is when you're training two or three days a week in game-based training so not in the gym you have to have a level of performance that is applicable to your actual game at the weekend so it's not like if i go out on a tuesday and i'm absolutely fucked i can't train properly then for my game on saturday yeah i have to have a level of freshness where the speed and out power outputs are roughly the same as what I'll have on Saturday. Very, very My, hard to monitor. Yeah, yeah. And you should be, like, what most 
of the big football teams or rugby teams will do now is they have GPS tracking and they'll monitor. They have a load level, so that's um, they use some combination of the amount of accelerations, the amount of time spent at a high speed, and the overall mileage. They Ooh, have a measure for that. That's fucking. Yeah, it's great if they use it, and yeah. then they have a measure for overall mileage, and that that's that tends to be they use the mileage one more than anything else. That's probably as useful, really. Yeah. Um, but you like. That's for those sports because there's such a high level of variation. Very hard to manage that though. You need very to be really high. on the wall. Like if you really want to manage that for a team of twenty on the panel, maybe eighteen on the panel. Yeah, more, more. Like, and if you you're elite sports, like you know that's, and they're doing gym work and they're doing gym sessions. Yeah, and like that's that's fucking difficult. Even as an individual, that would be super hard to manage. So if you're yeah, talking about yeah, twenty yeah. people, like that's um that's colossal. I think most of the time, and how you see that applied now is it won't affect what they do on the pitch. They might have a, a lighter training group, so when they go doing auxiliary running midway through a session or towards the end of a session, uh, the main team will do, say, 400-meter repeats, or they mm-hmm. might do suicide sprints, and, and a lower training group might go and uh, do some active recovery running, or they might do a small game-based scenario. Um, but most of the time, how you see it implemented is they cut the gym work. Speaking of active recovery... The literature would suggest that there is no such thing as active recovery. No. Basically, so from what we can see from most of the literature, it would suggest that active recovery does nothing. And one meta-analysis, and take this for what you will, had a little bit of a negative effect, which yeah. would make sense because basically what you're doing... All is active recovery is, is just more, more training. work. More training. More training. So sometimes, you know... You might hear CrossFitters say they're doing active recovery. And a lot of times what that should be called is a light session. Yeah. So if it's like 50 minutes on your bike at a really casual pace. Yeah, yeah. Active recovery isn't the right word for that because you're not helping yourself recover. No, you're no. You're just doing a little bit of like work. Like the best thing the best thing you could be doing to recover is going to bed. Yeah. You know, and, and like it's it's that simple. You might be promoting blood flow. You might be... Fro? You might be promoting blood flow You might be increasing uh, synovial fluids around joints But you're not increasing recovery Can't, isn't it the level of mitochondria per cell might um, Can drop by up to half over a day or something Yeah, it's definitely like you get huge drops over three days In the the amount of mitochondria per cell So like if you are a crossfitter a couple of weeks out of competition Ideally you don't want to be doing a lot of totally off days like you want to be doing something i suppose realistically yeah. like you you know a little bit of rowing the assault bike a little bit of i don't know something and like i think that. i think where we see this trend um not to shit on crossfit or anything but where we start seeing this trend in crossfit now is because we have athletes who are hugely invested in being the, the fire breathers like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah the absolute elite of the elite yeah and getting them to go to the gym and doing a uh super low intensity 50 minute row yeah doesn't really jive with what they want to achieve as athletes so then suddenly if we start calling those like active recovery days or active recovery run or active recovery row we're able to drop the intensity but still keep them emotionally invested in the actual session that's the one of the the difficulties is too what i imagine with managing condition fatigue from conditioning work is that the intensity of the conditioning probably makes a very big difference I'd imagine yeah. so if you're going balls out for an hour is a lot different than a casual pace for an hour yeah and it's just like the energy system is so different as well you know balls out and yeah. you're looking at like 
creatine phosphate or glycolytic systems where you're completely depleting stores of, of energy in the muscle rather than something like an aerobic set where it's you might be mainly lipid based like burning fat you're taking in a huge amount of oxygen as you're doing it you're replenishing you're not depleting glycogen stores because like if you snatch 120 kilos fast or slow the load is still 120 <laughs> kilos and if you do it and you just times, won't do it yeah. if you do it if you do it slow like and if you do it three times or if you do it for a triple overall it's basically the same thing yeah whereas an hour of cardio can mean a lot yeah, i do the level of variation is huge maybe 140 minutes of cardio a week across two 10 minute walks a day it's a lot different than marathon <laughs> runners 140 minutes yeah. a day or a week to yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy difference like and I, it's um it's a testament to some coaches who do manage it well because you have to put in the time to look at those numbers and think about your individual players and stuff and like the dividends are massive then though if they yeah, do yeah the payoff is huge like when you look at really really good cost for coaches like Ty Carroll mm. the amount of work that yeah. man puts in <laughs> seems to be huge anytime I see him he's like in the gym on his phone on his laptop mm-hmm. trying to sort out loading yeah. it's hard though it's um, yeah. loading for well to us it seems more clear yeah loading um, training for weightlifting and powerlifting and and even like strength training during CrossFit and stuff it's, um, it's, it seems to us but that's how I suppose what we're we're not seek a strength for we're not seeking conditioning. No, no, it's seek a strength. Seek a strength. Um and that's we get other people to write our conditioning program. So we have a CrossFit conditioning program. We have the blocks and all written and gotten, but it's Ty Carroll writes all those for us. In terms of recovery methods, I know we were just looking today at some meta analysis and some of them were saying this is what we we're talking about at the start was like a powerful increase in in recovery, like from perceived fatigue, uh, DOMS I think creating kinase, C reactive protein. And initially, most of all the other literature would say that that's just not true. No. So it's it can be confusing to read that. I think the other thing is like when you when you have studies like that, and so a meta analysis, if you're not familiar, is where you take the fifty most recent studies or the fifty most applicable studies, you take all their data and you analyze it the way you want to analyze it. To think about drawing statistical significance or like just doing statistical analyses is if. This, or if the group is big enough anything becomes significant so if your population of people you're testing oh, yeah, is yeah, yeah. your statistical significance suddenly goes through the roof so even if um, if doing four years of a really shit squat program mm-hmm. elicits usually a one kilo increase which isn't significant across four years in everybody if the group is large enough and if you have enough people, you get a powerful enough analysis whereby suddenly it becomes significant. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I think when you look at those meta-analyses and stuff that you were showing us earlier, like, that's where a lot of those false conclusions come from, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, suddenly the effect is fuck all, or the magnitude of the effect is fuck all. Yeah, the magnitude might be... It's tiny. So if you're saying, like, you're saying one kilo, yeah. but 10,000 kilos... Yeah, yeah, and it, and it suddenly becomes yeah, bang! It's so significant. So, what would be if you let's just say talking about this now, what would be an optimal sample size? The optimal number in a study, like a uh, so let's say an isometric and strength test. Yeah, so like if it's an intervention based study, so you're bringing in people and testing them. Yeah, it's three hundred. Three hundred. Why is yeah. three hundred? I don't know. That's so. There's something you do called a power analysis, mm-hmm. um, and three hundred would seem to be for most of the like sports science based stuff 300 is good 
it's like it's very very difficult like yeah you know even getting 300 people is so difficult not a mind to say getting 300 people doing all their pre-testing most of the time you do pre-testing so like testing before the intervention you do something called a double baseline so you test them twice beforehand then you bring them in that that might be a 12-week program and then you test them again after like i've i've participated in i think two different uh studies uh in ul and even being a participant it's like it's a hassle yeah it is and like it's so that's why you don't see and like that's why most of the time in meta-analyses and stuff is the only time you'll get these big numbers you know yeah a lot of those studies you see especially the ones like power output of weightlifters versus power output of football players or something like that you see it's like eight weightlifters eight football players yeah and you it's know and like that's that's just not ever going to be right like like of all of all the like the literature i can think of it's it's very like it's hard to find ones that are really applicable to you individually yeah it's very and it would be nice to, be able to find things and that would say fucking what's such in malate yeah we'll it would be great if we could yeah do you think it'll ever get to that point in um yeah i think it will you know, sports science on a whole is fairly young yeah it is um, very young i suppose yeah especially like in terms of psychology which is like what i'm studying now sports psychology is like 20 30 years old yeah you know and nothing. like performance psychology is even younger so you're looking at like we're not even at the stage where we have a bank of studies to look at yeah you know it's like it's in its very infancy so we're we're constantly referring on things to conventional psychology or to developmental which psychology is notoriously which is notoriously flawed like inconsistently you know, like yeah um but I think there is. Do you see that thing recently? They tried to reproduce a load of those landmark psychology studies, and it was something yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It was something. I think it was like a hundred something of them, and they were produced like less than twenty of them, or yeah, something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, and I think. Do you think there'll be programs coming out where it's like it'll be as natural as getting a strength program as like a, a psychology yes. protocol? Yeah. What kind of things do you think would be in that? Resilience training. Yeah. Um. And like anxiety interventions. Like the whole huge Crying plethora sessions. of area that is um, mental health disorders, but in terms of just performance based, I think there's a, like there's literally a whole other coaching culture yeah. that could come on yeah. for uh, non-contact based. So like coaching people online with some resilience interventions. He's crying in the shower. Um, uh, is that one of no, is that no. any studies on that? No, no, no studies on that. No, Jeez. really interesting thing. We're going to bring it up now, right? Yeah, go for it. That's what we're here for. This is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine. So crying in the shower is <laughs> no. That's a hobby. Not a pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> crying and drinking in the shower. No, so I'm just drinking. When people talk about resilience, right? Yeah. Give me an example of something that's resilient. Uh, a person or a something. sports person. Of someone who's resilient. Yeah, or like something that would be shown to be resilient. Jesus, put me in spot. Give me a second now. Uh, I'm absolutely Is this a trick question? It's a trick question. It is, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. I'll, I'll give you an answer of, um, I'm going to say David Goggins. Okay, right. Yeah. So David Goggins is like, he's a SEAL or something, isn't he? A former SEAL. Former SEAL. So he runs these huge runs, right? Mm-hmm. But then, thank God, I only listened to this recently. But then if you listen to Goggins speak on like a, 
on Rogan, right? Or this, in, wait, in any of his videos. Can I, can I just try and guess where you're going with this? Go on. Is this a thing where you're like, you don't have courage unless you're afraid? Is this where you're going with this? No, no, that's okay, not where okay, you're going, okay, right? Okay, okay. It's not so, resilient unless you're afraid of the thing you're doing? Okay. No, it's nothing to do with that. Oh. But what resilience is, right? Resilience isn't doing things that are really hard. Or resilience isn't just going for a goal no matter what, right? Yeah. That's called grit or it's called hardiness. They're two different things. Oh, okay. What resilience is is your ability to bounce back and bounce back in a positive direction. So most of the time when you yeah, cause I, so this is that scientific language again, like significant. And yeah, yeah. So like, and we always hear resilience misquoted in the media, right? You hear just gets all you sports scientists oh their psychology. Oh, it annoys us so oh much. Gosh, um, they're so like, using it wrong again. <laughs> they're Delor- using our words. Yeah, but so you hear these things of like, uh, oh, Courtney DeWalter, right? Mm-hmm. She um, who's that? She's like an unbelievable long distance runner. She runs super marathons and like yeah, she yeah. runs those like. Oh, she's really races. good, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's, she's like, like one of the best, best in the world of right? all men, even isn't it? So yeah, so I was listening to even like, men. She's better than men. She's better than men. <laughs> and um, so there is a thing like the most resilient runner ever, right? Yeah. And it's like that's not how you use yeah, it. And, and so they were using this, calling her super resilient, yeah, because she fell, yeah, banged her head and lost her vision because oh, she was the blood in her eyes, bleeding into the back of her eyes, yeah. And they were calling her resilient. What should she been called? She like that's a huge level of grit, right? That's, right. That's, Why is that not resilient? Because that's not a positive thing. But is running the race even? No. So because that affected her career, and because that negatively affected her recovery time a resilient thing would have been like i'm not gonna win this race let's just sign that off not gonna win it there's 40 other races this year i'm gonna do better in the next one right but but it's unbelievably high levels of grit it could be a bit of hardiness as well because she's pursuing a goal no matter what so you hear people all the time as well wait, and it's wait, wait, which thing one is pursuing the goal no matter what grit or resilience grit resilience is your ability to positively bounce back from adversity so basically it means if you give so, up right? and you're okay with it no so mm-hmm. somebody who's squatting so much i know that someone it like really that. hurts their knees oh, oh, oh yeah i know someone like that but they keep squatting they are <laughs> i actually i'm gonna say this to clarence yeah that is not being resilient what's that being that is it's having grit. high levels of grit it's also high levels of hardiness so what would be resilience in clarence's case uh resilience would be getting injured mm-hmm doing positive things to bring you back from the injury so it will be pulling you away from the thing you like so it might be uh stopping weightlifting it might be having to go for 20 minute walks every day it might be uh physiotherapy physical therapy whatever it might be all of those things Mm -hmm. pulling yourself away from pleasurable activities but then rebounding back and becoming better after oh because obviously in we sports think psychology, about you need being like this. I'm gonna keep running into the wall with yeah. my head until it's not there anymore. <laughs> you you need these words to have like strict definitions yes. for it to be a real science. Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. That's a bit difficult because words are mean things, you know. And people, everybody uses words. That's the problem. You know? Everyone if uses I words. Hear one more fucking person talking <laughs> about resilience. Okay. Oh. So what was the other word you used for grit? Hardiness, is it? Hardiness, which is, is a more slightly common. different thing. Oh, okay. Um, hardiness is like going against a non-favorable state like so like getting into cold water every day requires hardiness because mm-hmm. like it's not very favorable it's not really going towards a goal but it's just being fucking hardy interesting yeah and these definitions are becoming more 
No, well, these definitions are like set in. Yeah. They're like locked in by psychology. Like, oh, okay. Um, it's just a problem with people use words as things as well. Yeah. Words of different meanings. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very interesting though. Yeah. Okay, the last thing I suppose in recovery, we never talked about self-massage, massage, foam rolling, stretching. So, the only, these do not, from what we can see, and what our personal experience and opinions would be is these don't directly help you recover better. No. They just don't. That's what the literature seems to say. But if you have an injury and these help your injuries not be injuries anymore and not yeah. have hurty poos and you can train more, that in a roundabout way meant you recovered. Yeah. Or if it's stretching a myofascial release yeah. that allows you to have better motor patterns, then you don't get fatigued by using shit motor patterns. Yeah. It will help with your recovery. So if you have a specific problem, these in a way will help you recover yeah. better. Like, I know you, you hear things about reducing the intramuscular, intracellular space or something, reducing swelling. and makes my brain hurt. Oh, it's a bit like, um, it's just kind of resilience, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, they're, they're kind of floofy. You hear people talk about like reduced fatigue, or perceived fatigue and stuff, yeah. you know, and they're, they're very hard to kind of pin down. Whereas if you're like, my knee is really sore, and then if you roll a particular part of your knee or use a fucking machine gun thingy yeah. or you use a foam roller or whatever, and then your knee doesn't hurt, that that's is definitely a recovery method. I w- in a roundabout way, like maybe recovery method is the wrong word, but if yeah. you're using it, that's my why might be why it helps you, you know? Yeah, and like getting rid of perceived soreness or perceived muscular soreness is important for recovery, but it's not recovery, if you get what I mean. Is there Has there been work done on reduction of dams and power output and stuff performance like that do they is it just perceived they're not they're not they're not collinear like so like so if you sorry so i'll just elaborate for people is that like if i have dams would it reduce my power because and i dams have dams are delayed dams. onset muscle soreness so if i have dams right will it directly reduce my performance because i have dams and it's a biochemical thing or is it just because dams are sore and i won't run as fast so what the science would say is yeah the actual level of recovery so like the physiological mm-hmm. recovery is more important than the perceived soreness do you get what i mean so if you're say if you did 10 by 10 on a back squat yesterday jesus christ and you have Love. very high levels of systemic inflammation you still have those micro tears that haven't healed yet mm-hmm. but your doms are super low yeah that will kind of help yeah. But what's more important is fixing the systemic inflammation yeah. and actually repairing the muscle cells. So dams... Dams don't affect it as much. So they're not really... Th- it's hard to say they're directly related. No. But l- there is a certain relationship there because... Can we can use that line? Logically. Wait, wait. Can we use that line people love using? It's correlation, not causation, right? Yeah. You know, people love so, that. So, yeah. that, sounds ma- that makes you sound more photosynthesis, you know, makes you sound really <laughs> smart. Like people love saying that, and a lot of times they're right. But you know, yeah. it's it's just uh, throwaway lines, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I got that joke from Arthur. Actually, I heard him say it before. <laughs> it's very funny though. So you're you're saying like that? Dams basically mean kind of nothing in some. It's ways. not that they mean nothing. They they do affect because if the muscle is sore, neurologically you won't be able to fire it as hard. Okay, Joe. Like you, you won't be able to do an isometric contraction as hard, or your. But is that because because you're it's sore? Is it because you're like oh, my hands? So it's a bit. the afferent nerve signal coming back to your brain or coming to your spinal column. So it's out of your control. Yeah. So it's like putting your hand onto a hot hob. Mm-hmm. You'll get an afferent nerve signal back to your elbow first, yeah. and then to your spinal column that will pull your hand away. 
Okay. You know, so like soreness definitely does affect power output and speed and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. it's not as important as the actual muscle being healthy. Very interesting. Yeah. And obviously, there's a lot of people here, I know you've heard of the last, but you do need to have those micro tears yes. to overcompensate. Yeah. And that's like our programs are hard, guys. You know, mm-hmm. like people are very concerned that the loading for the first week and sometimes the first two weeks is very light. Sometimes in the first month or so. Yeah. But that, like, it's necessary because once you start bringing in this volume and once you start training harder, yeah. you have to have the motor patterns there and you have to have the habits built and you have to be an efficient weightlifter or powerlifter or athlete at actually training and recovering before you can add that volume. Like, a lot of times people say to us, if a couple of people have said to us now, it was the volume of assistance work that got yeah. them. They were like, so they were able for the like the five by ten. They were like, one hundred kilos. My max is two hundred. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, those quadruped glute extensions and back <laughs> extensions murdered me. I was so tired. Or it's Th- like, oh, I can't do today's session. Why I'm am I only snatching sixty kilos this week? Yeah. And then it's only sixty-two and a half next week. Yeah. And then in like four weeks' time, it's like, oh. Yeah, that snatch actually got really, really difficult. Yeah, because like you're not able to do single leg piston negatives to yeah. save your life. And it, in the short term, that 60 kilos might be harder, but in the long term, your lack of injuries and your power output yeah. might be far greater, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And that's why... Well, it's on a random tangent, seems we're here. At the moment, you know, I've kind of paid more attention because it's brought into focus, you know, when writing the programs and listening to people is that I've probably slacked off a little bit. Yeah. And I suppose it's easier with bigger weights to get away and think you don't need them. Yeah. But at the moment, I'm focusing heavily on strict press split squats non-elevated split squats with no weightlifting shoes on and no knee sleeves and you're such a hippie obviously no belt <laughs> and was it push uh, strict press strict press is getting there nearly at a 120 strict press that's a legit strict press that's very legit It's it might be a long way away or it might be no it might be very close who knows <laughs> and face pulls which I have a problem when I'm snatching is my sh- and cleaning to a lesser extent is my shoulders. a very weak upper back. Roll forward a little bit. It might be thick, but it's not as strong no. as it is thick. No. But it rolls forward a little bit. And uh, almost instantly... Yeah, it's as you doing, pass your knees. Yeah. No, but almost instantly from doing the face pulls, it's helped. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. That might be not... A, that's obviously not strengthening already or any hypertrophy. It's just some... It's probably neurological. Yeah, it's just like pull your shoulders back a bit. Yeah. Or watching videos of ourselves doing Q&As and you notice your posture is not as good as it could be. Oh my God. If you ever want to assess your posture. Watch yourself. Watch yourself in a video. And most of the time you sit like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes your facial expression looks like a cunt. Oh my God. As well, uh, I heard things before. Someone was like, if you want to lose weight, just eat naked in front of a mirror. <laughs> Dara tried it, but it made no difference. <laughs> no, I just he kept just getting food on the mirror. So secure in himself, you know. All right. Okay, we better leave it there. How long was that? We went 136 minutes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, guys, thanks very much for lifting. Or for lifting. Hey. Thanks for lifting. Uh, for listening. Yeah. Make sure you go and check out the Instagram page. We have loads of new videos up there. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, if you have any questions at all, we kind of do the Q&As once every 10 days or two weeks. So, do just send in the questions or send them to me or Gurf. Um, and we'll just keep tipping away, keep videoing them, and then we just release one every day. Yeah, and like if you you might not see your question for ages, but if it's it's a, coming, if it's a reasonable question, and if it hasn't been asked before, yeah, and we'll usually show you the video if it has been asked before, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it will come eventually. So just keep listening. Yeah, and then the final thing I suppose is we have t-shirts and stuff inbound. We're just getting it the last of it sorted. So do keep an eye on this face if you like the old Seeker logo. Did you just say on this face? 
He just said, keep an eye on this face. On this space. No, but you said face, though. I said space. No, you said face. You meant to say space. You're a disgrace. Keep an eye on this space. Thanks, guys. Um, Next podcast, we'll, just before we go, probably, might be the Squat University one, but the next one we'll record ourselves will probably be Beyond. linear versus, versus concurrent training yeah. with a bit of conjugate thrown in and thrown out yeah, strictly. Yeah, 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 quickly yeah, yeah. thrown out. Yeah, okay. thrown out. Thrown bye out bye. every year. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.